Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Welcome to the Believe in 76ers podcast. I'm Justin Grasso. And I'm Kevin McCormick. And this is a podcast dedicated to covering the Philadelphia 76ers on the Believe Podcast Network. Kev, we had a big game two on Wednesday as we spoke on the last podcast after the Sixers defeated Washington. It was a tight game, game one. Uh, Game two started off tight and you were in the building this time around. So how was your, this was your first playoff game, right? That you're covering? Yes, as a member of the media, yes, it was my first playoff game in person. And how was that experience? It was incredible. I mean, I expected it to be loud just based off how I, I heard it from the TV in game one. But, I mean, totally understand why Doc said it sounded like there was three times as many people in there because you could tell from the opening minute the crowd was was hanging on every single moment that happened, whether it was, you know, a Ben dunk or even when Joel raised his hands to the crowd after they went on that, that short spurt in the second half and just sent it into an absolute eruption. I'm shocked that the Wells Fargo Center's roof is still intact after game two. Yeah, that's right. That that's exactly how I felt the first game. I was just like, I, I can't believe how like loud it is. And it's only 50% capacity, which I kind of have an issue with the way that they set it up. I don't know if you noticed, but it has everyone seated shoulder to shoulder in like the middle areas and whatnot. And then behind the basket, up, you know, up top, there's just like all empty seats. So I thought the purpose of doing 50% capacity was spread people out as much as possible and they did the opposite. So I, I don't understand why at this point you don't just bring in a hundred percent capacity, but even if they did that, can you imagine what that, what that environment would be like? I, I feel like part of why it sounds so loud is because of like guys being in there for most of the season for us, like covering it with the media, we were in there when it was an empty gym where the only sound that was coming through was the pumped in crowd noise. So now that there's actual like fan engagement and even though it's 50%, I mean, these are fans that have been waiting all year to get in and cheer this team on. So you can tell all that energy has just been pent up and they've been waiting for a game like this and they have not disappointed through two games. Yeah. I mean that those games at the beginning of the season, like it was, it was like a unique environment because I mean, literally I, nobody was there. Like it was, it was us in the media, the team, and then like their staffers and then that's it. Like it, and then they're pumping in like this fake crowd noise. And wow, that was loud and like it sounded good on TV. Uh, obnoxiously loud. Horrible. There was no need for the the volume of the music in the Wells Fargo Center to be a full volume when it was just us there. I went home with a headache every game. Yeah, it was it was bad. And then it, it was so weird too, because like the Sixers would win. They uh they play the music, here they come, and then it just cuts off. And then you hear nothing. <laughs> it's just complete silence. So it was just such a weird environment. So to have that back to even 50%, it's just it really is incredible. And Sixers continue to win. Now, bringing all these fans back while it was great, you also have the bad eggs in the building. And uh, unfortunately – there was a fan that decided to give Russell Westbrook what I'm calling a popcorn shower because when he was getting up off the court, went into the tunnel, which I guess because he was on the one side of the court, he went to where the Sixers typically come out for the uh, introductions and someone decided to dump popcorn on him. And then obviously Russ is Russ. He wants to fight. 
And uh, I don't blame him. <laughs> like, I literally don't blame him how he reacted. Not at all. I mean, it, there's no reason for that, especially for the fact of he was leaving the court because of injury. It wasn't like it was the end of the game and they were just going to the tunnel. Not that that makes it an okay situation, but the fact that he was leaving with injury, walking off with the trainers and someone felt the need to do that, it's just – it's unacceptable. And it's just – we finally get fans back in the arena. We're, we're enjoying the normality. And then, of course, people have to take it too far. I think the, it's been talked about a lot on like ESPN and, and the national outlets and stuff. And it's just a point of these guys are at work. I mean, this is their job, although, you know, it's, it's luxurious and they get paid millions of dollars to play a sport. They're still at work. I mean, how would any other person feel if they were to come and just have popcorn dumped on them? I know if I was recording this podcast right now and someone <laughs> – bursted through that door and dumped popcorn on me, I would not be happy about it. So I completely understand Russell Westbrook's reaction. It was, you know, the Sixers did it accordingly, you know, banning the fan indefinitely. And just because that that type of behavior is just, it's not acceptable. I don't know if it'd be wrong if I thought it was hilarious that someone just popped in that door right now and dumped popcorn on your head <laughs> as a prank. But in that case, when it was when it was Russell Westbrook, it was definitely wrong, especially because he was injured. Like, it's like, come on, everyone... Like, and I'll say we were both there. We know that, you know, everyone was respectfully clapping for him and, you know, what you doing, what you do when someone is injured and they get up, fortunately. And then, you know, the whole nice moment is just ruined by the one guy who dumps popcorn on him and not even at work. It's not even like a ridiculous thing. Like, oh, he's at work and someone dumped popcorn. You're not, you shouldn't dump popcorn on someone's head in any like setting, like (laughs) food, drinks, you don't do that like unless there's like an established hey we're about to have a food fight or something which is like weird we're not in like middle school so it's like (laughs) i don't get it why are you throwing food so it it was just it was unfortunate that it went like that and then there was also the issue in um new york too when a fan spit on trey young as well it's like like who who raised these people yeah (laughs) seriously what is going and it, I think it, it was Rachel Nichols said it on the jump and she was just like you think people would just like be grateful that they get to be there I mean it's been a year and change since we've been able to go to sporting events and just you know be able to be in that atmosphere and everything feel normal and you know and at peace again especially with the Sixers after how last season went down you know this season was incredible Joel B was an MVP you think fans would just want to come in and cheer on this team after the year they had but of course People got to come in, cause a scene. I mean, I, that dude spent probably like 15, 20 bucks on that popcorn and felt the need to dump it on Russell Westbrook. That is an expensive, expensive popcorn that was, that shower. Was the, what you're that was the it. big box of popcorn. He had the big yeah. box of popcorn. Like, <laughs> it's it's just stupid. It's just so – it's yeah. like if you were to dump a beer on someone too, like, dude, you spent $10 on that beer. What are you dumping it on someone for? Yeah. Like, just, just – I, I don't drink get it. it. Eat it. That's it. Yeah. It's, like, it's weird, but – Yelling at the players and stuff and, and trash talk, it's cool. I'm, most of them say they enjoy it. They enjoy the banter of it. And you could tell Bradley Beal was in game one, and I, I assume most players are okay with it to an extent as long as you don't make it too personal. But, I mean, throwing things and spitting on players, it's just, I mean, it, it's un- like what year is it that people still don't realize that stuff like that's unacceptable out in public? Yeah, it's it's definitely, I don't know, it's, it was wild, but – that guy got his uh, tickets revoked, so he's he won't be dumping popcorn on anybody's head at the <laughs> Wells Fargo Center, at least, for um, for a while now. But getting off of the popcorn showers, like I said, unfortunately, that situation overshadowed what was 
really a blowout game in Philly. So, you know, when Tyrese Maxey is getting significant fourth quarter minutes, when B-Ball Paul checks in, Anthony Tolliver, Isaiah Joe, when they check in, something either really good or something either really bad is happening. Fortunately for the Sixers, it was really good. And it all started with the guy who got all of the criticism after game one for scoring six points, despite having the 15 rebounds, the 15 assists, Ben Simmons, like I said, I'm going to take credit for that. Ben Simmons came out. What did I say? 20 points. He said he, I was going to, he was going to have 20 points. Yeah, I think so. I think ben so. came out, had himself a 22 point night. Uh, I think he had 12 in the first. Let me, let yeah, me fact check that 12, 12 in the yeah, first. It was 12 in the first. 12 points in the first quarter. What did you see out of Ben Simmons on uh, Wednesday night? Just aggressiveness. And like you said in the first episode, you could tell maybe that that pettiness was coming out a little bit, that he was sick of everyone, you know, bashing the game he had. And I think he said it best after the game when he he said he thought it was impressive for a player to get 15 rebounds and 15 assists in a playoff game and that it, it was shocking that he received that kind of hate. But, I mean, listen, he was incredible. Same way Tobias Harris did a phenomenal job attacking mismatches in game one. I thought Ben did the same thing in game two. This Wizards lineup, that three-guard lineup, it's just too small for the size of the Sixers starting lineup. And I thought Joel Embiid showed phenomenal basketball IQ in game two. He could tell that his man refused to leave him. He was drawing doubles on almost every touch and decided to hang a little bit more in the mid-range, in the perimeter, although people may critique that part of his game and think that he spends a little too much time out there. It allowed the lane to open up, and then when Ben Simmons got a Bradley Beal, Raul Neto, Russell Westbrook matched up on him, he just took care of him in the post. So I thought, you know, Ben was great. He was aggressive. He was attacking the rim. It definitely showed shades of the Ben Simmons that we saw in the weeks leading up to the All-Star break. Yeah, for sure. And I, I think one underrated thing about Joel's performance, because Joel didn't have, like, like, 22 points is good. Obviously, for Ben Simmons, we're like, yes, 22 points. <laughs> when it comes to Joel, he has 22, and that's like – it's like under the radar. It's kind of like, well, it's not his best game. But, I mean, we we saw it a lot this season, his improvement of when he gets smothered and double team, maybe even sometimes triple team. And he's just making much better decisions of where to go with the ball. And his passes are really good coming out of those those double, triple teams. And I thought that that was really on display on uh, in game two, which, I mean, is big because in previous playoff runs – he would cough up that ball or he would throw it and it would just be like, where are you passing that to? But yeah, I, I mean, I thought Joel looked great. And then obviously Tobias, he had that, what was it like an ankle? I think it was, yeah. I don't think they really clarified that, but he had that issue, but came back in. And again, we said it on the, the first podcast episode that this is a big three in Philly. And I think we saw that again in game two. And it's just proving that, the Sixers are a lot more dangerous than anybody expected in the beginning of the year because of that big three. Exactly. I mean, in game one, it was the, the your half, my half kind of thing with Joel and Tobias. But I mean, this game, part of why Joel and B didn't really finish with that glorious of a stat line is just they were firing on all cylinders. Joel had 22, Ben had 22, Tobias had 19. I mean, when all three are clicking like that and efficiently scoring that well, the Sixers are going to be extremely tough to beat. And I agree, they do. They look like a legitimate big three so far in this playoff series. I think through two games, they're averaging about 68 points per game between the three of them. That is, you know, three all-star level talents, even though Tobias Harris was snubbed from an all-star uh, nomination. But 
I'll take this trio the way they're playing right now up against arguably any trio in the league right now. And they're going to need it because there's a lot of firepower down the road with Milwaukee's big three, Brooklyn's big three. So it really feels like they're, they're focused, they're locked in, and they're trying their best to kind of right their wrongs of previous postseason runs together. Yeah, and listen, the, the best thing about this big three specifically, and we kind of touched on it briefly, the selflessness that they all have. I mean, you look at Ben, everyone complains about his scoring, but he's a playmaker. He wants to pass the ball. He wants to get the ball to the open guy for a high percentage shot rather than trying to go in and get fouled. And then we all know, you know, his, his he's a big risk on the foul line. So you got Ben who wants to pass first. You got Tobias who, I mean, you summed it up perfectly last time saying how Tobias just, he doesn't want to take anything from anybody else. He's just going to play his game, play within himself. And obviously he's really good at doing that. And then the third piece is Joel, who's someone, I think Joel would be frustrated if he didn't get the touches that he believes he gets. But right now we're seeing that he's comfortable with not trying to do too much when he doesn't have to, if he's getting that double team, he's not trying to to be the guy that's scoring he will pass it out to someone else but he can also dominate too and the best part about Joel this year aside from the fact that he's just dominating everybody is that he's having fun playing the game and the fact that everyone else around him can shine and he's still having fun he's doing his uh his new signature celebration it's not really mm-hmm. new it came out uh I think it was like New Year's Eve was that first First time he busted it out, the DX, uh, the DX, I don't even know what to call it. Thrusting motion. Yeah, like it's just, so he's been doing that. And today, last night he tweeted it out. And then today, Triple H, Shawn Michaels, they're all tweeting at him. How awesome is that now that that's getting all that that attention? It's incredible. I think that the Sixers bust, when they pull up to Washington on Saturday, they need to pull up in the tank like when DX uh, stormed, when they (laughs) fake stormed WCW and that storyline with Joel and B leading the charge on the top of the tank. So, I I mean, it's awesome. Obviously, it's cool to see, to get that kind of mainstream attention. Obviously, it it just speaks to just what a big personality he is that even guys like Triple H and Shawn Michaels are tweeting out things like hashtag trust the process. So, I think it's cool. It adds to the vibe. It adds to the fun around this team. And if Joel and Ben hit the two sweet in game three, like it's over. Just get the parade ready now. If they're hitting the two sweet during the, during the game in game three. Yeah. I don't, I don't know how much wrestling Ben watches, but um, I mean, who knows, man, that nothing, nothing surprises me with this team. And I, I'd almost, I'd, I'd go as far as I know everyone's saying, Oh, we got to get triple H and Shawn Michaels to ring the bell. That's cool. I'd also like to see uh, a new intro uh, put together before home games instead of yeah. they got right now they got the rocky music I'm, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm finished with rocky i love rocky love the, the DX theme. theme dx theme dx theme i don't i don't want any more rocky for the end of the season joel made it it has to be dx why not lean into it with all the attention that it's getting i mean the people are loving it everyone is begging for all the different kind of shirts to be made obviously triple h Shawn michaels are okay with it i don't think wwe would have too much grapes if they tried to do some kind of similarity with it, but why not lean into it? It's something new. It, it's something fresh. Like, and it, it's just fun. Like, I don't know why anyone would be against it. Yeah. The only thing I could see happening is someone putting a stop to it. Like someone's putting a stop to uh, bringing out those Iverson throwback jerseys, but that's a story for another time. We won't get into that. <laughs> <laughs> We're not going to have that combo today. 
so back back to the game. Now we got the the celebration, Joel's celebration out of the way. Not everything is positive for the Sixers. Um, obviously, they're dominating Washington because they're the better team. It's simple. Aside from Bradley Beal, really, it doesn't look like Washington has much firepower to compete with the Sixers the way they should be in the playoffs. But like I said, not everything is positive for the Sixers. Um, there's been a lot of talk I've seen about people wanting to see the rookie get more minutes in the playoffs. Now we all know how doc rivers is. He's not somebody that really wants to, I don't want to say lean on rookies, but even implement them frequently in the playoffs. So is it time for Tyrese Maxey to take up some of those shake Milton minutes? It's tough. I sit on both. I see both sides of the argument just because every time doc rolls out Tyrese Maxey, he makes it harder and harder not to keep rolling them out. I mean, this is, a 19-year-old who didn't have a summer league, who had very minimal training camp, didn't really practice much in his first NBA season, had to pretty much learn everything on the fly, and still managed to continually get better over the course of the year. And, and even in these playoff games, he has never looked like the moment is too big for him. He continues to deliver. And, I mean, his game provides a nice spark and something that they don't have. So I, I do see why the argument could be there. I think – it could potentially be a little too soon because it's only two games against, like you said, a team that's not very good and can't really match up with them. But I mean, it's a conversation that could definitely be had. Shake has struggled and it's actually kind of upset me. He's a guy that I figured might step up a little more just because I feel a lot of people forget that when he was forced into the starting lineup last year in the bubble, I thought he played very well in that series against Boston and that shake just has not returned yet. But if he continues to slump, the Sixers have the optionality on their bench of so many different guys that they can go to. And if one guy gets that cold, I don't understand why Doc Rivers wouldn't go to a more hot hand. Yeah, it's, it's actually crazy to think about, because obviously we all know Shake's emergence last year. And like, I actually agree with you. I think he was, aside from, I think it was the first seeding game against Indiana where he looked yeah. bad. It was that one. It wasn't the scrimmage. So he didn't look good in that game at all when they returned, which was disappointing because I mean, he was shooting like 60% from three during that like final stretch before the, the big break. But he, I thought he actually looked pretty good in the bubble last year and he fit well when they played Boston. I mean, it wasn't a good series at all, but him and Joel were him, Joel and Alec Burks were like the three that still looked solid in that round. And then coming into this year, it was the debate of, okay, does shake start or does shake come off the bench when Doc made it clear, like, I think I like him coming off the bench. We were talking sixth man of the year, potentially, for Sheik. Mm -hmm. And then at first he looked good. I think he, he kind of had some injuries here and there, little little uh, issues. And then I don't know what, what happened, like, towards the end of – I mean, he hasn't really looked good towards yeah. this final stretch of the regular season. Ever since he rolled his ankle in Sacramento, it really feels like he never got back to himself. Yeah, and it, like his his shooting form from beyond the arc looks kind of off too. So I definitely see the argument to where you know Tyrese could take up some of those minutes because, like you said, he offers a spark. Now the question is: Is he going to offer that same spark when they're on the road and Tyrese Maxey gets introduced and the crowd's not like going nuts because Philadelphia loves Tyrese Maxey, <laughs> like they go crazy for Tyrese Maxey and. 
as weird as it sounds, when that crowd is like going crazy like that, the Sixers always turn it up a notch. And so that just adds to the energy. Now, is he going to do the same when it's playoff time on the road? Crowds not for him, they're against him. Is he going to come in and bring that same spark? And really, the only reason why I'm hesitant to even say that the Sixers are guaranteed to sweep the series is because I don't know how they're going to perform as a whole on the road in the playoffs. Like Washington is getting 50% capacity. I don't know. Does Washington even fill 50% capacity these days? I don't know. But I just need to see how they perform on the road. And I think for a rookie, that is, it's a major test. And I understand where Doc comes from, where he says, oh, I'd rather play, you know, Shake Milton over Tyrese because of experience. It's the same thing where he would say, well, I'd rather play Mike Scott over Paul Reed. Obviously, everybody wants to see Paul Reed play, but he's a rookie. They're rookies, and this is the playoffs, so you can't make that risk. So I see why the Sixers might be hesitant to start giving some of those minutes to Tyrese Maxey. That's really my only gripe with the idea of like solidifying Tyrese Maxey in this playoff rotation. It's just that at the end of the day, he's still only 19, 20 years old. And although I will say after hearing him speak all throughout the year, he's an extremely mature, you know, young man, even though he's not much younger than me, as I say, young man, <laughs> but he may only be 19, 20, like on his birth certificate, but between the years, he is much older. You could tell that his maturity and his outlook, on the game and himself is, you know, far beyond the years of his age, but he's still so young. He's still learning the NBA game on the fly. And this is a team that's trying to win a title. And I don't know if relying that heavily on a guy so young is kind of like a make or break thing because, you know, say they continue to ride with him, and, you know, later on in the playoffs, he flops that could kill his confidence. So then you have this young guy who's oozing potential and just continues to want to learn and get better and then you could break him mentally. Not saying that. I don't think that would happen with Ty- Tyrese Maxey at all, but it's just, it's a tough situation to put a guy with that little experience in. Yeah, for sure. And I, I agree with you too. Obviously we we've talked to Tyrese a lot and he's extremely mature for his age. And I mean, he's a workhorse too. Like he really just wants to develop and get better, which is great moving forward, you know, for the future. But we're in the playoffs now. Like you said, Sixers are championship contenders. They have it on their mind. They want to win a championship. Now, Shake Milton doesn't have much more experience than Tyrese Maxey. So I can see where that's an issue too. But then there's also, there's Furkan Korkmaz who's still in the rotation. And it's unclear if, you know, how much longer is he going to be getting those minutes? So it's really these three that I look at, Shake Milton, Tyrese, and, and Furkan as to who's going to get all of those bench minutes between those three. I mean, it's going to be tough. I still feel that although Shake and Ferk don't have much more experience, one, it's still experience, and two, they're also still a couple years older. So there's that factor. And Shake and Ferk are still both guys that have the potential to just catch fire one random night and give you 20 to 25 points off the bench. Both have shown they can do it. They're more than capable of doing it. I feel like people forget that Furkan Korkmaz is still working himself back from injury. He rolled his ankle towards the end of the regular season, didn't get to play much. So he's still kind of getting back in the groove of things in the playoffs, in that atmosphere. But, I mean, they're guys that have been there. They've been in the system for years now. It's just 
Tyrese Maxey's great. Don't get me wrong. And I think in situations it makes the most sense, but I feel like you still kind of need to lean on the guys who have been there before. Yeah, for sure. And that they're, they're going to test that out over these next few games. I don't know how many games we have left in the series, but I two. can't there, imagine. There, there's two games left. <laughs> Maybe three. <laughs> but uh, I can't imagine we get to round two and Doc is still has this many people in his rotation. I feel like this is still tryouts here. I agree. And can we – we also need to bring up the all-bench lineup came back again in game two. <laughs> Listen, now it, it happened late late in the game. It's fine when it's when it's a blowout. Sure, roll them all out when the game's over. But in the guts of the game, he was still going to it. I don't get it, not at all. I could see why it happened in game one because Joel was in foul trouble. But when all three are rolling and clicking like that, why are you still rolling out the all bench lineup? Granted, it it wasn't that bad of a blow in game two. But if you do that against a Milwaukee or a Brooklyn later on, I mean, even a Knicks team in round two, if you see them, it could cost you. And I don't understand why Doc still feels so confident in that lineup this late in the postseason. Yeah, I'll just say that I believe it's because they're confident that they can beat the Wizards. And that's not fact. I don't know what Doc Rivers thinking. Like Doc Rivers would say, I'm not smart enough to get in his head. So yeah. I don't know. I, I said the same thing. I literally, who was sitting there? Tom Moore. I looked over to him. I'm like, they're really going to roll with this whole bench lineup again? Like that's, that's crazy in the playoffs. I thought that that was over. He said, Doc Rivers said that, you know, someone, someone's going to be on the floor from the starting lineup at all times, whether it be Tobias or you put Ben at power forward, just and then at one point it was Seth Curry. Like Seth Curry was not the starter that everyone <laughs> was anticipating to run with the bench players, the man down that unit. Yeah, it's it's weird. I I would like to think that second round comes around and everything starts. That rotation subtracts one or two people, and then you, you don't roll with that old bench lineup. But I don't know. Go like I said, I don't know what what Doc Rivers' plans are here. This is his first playoff run in philly so we'll see but we can't get too far ahead of ourselves there's a game three coming up it is tomorrow saturday night in washington it's the first playoff road game of the year what's your prediction sixers are gonna win again i mean this it's clear the wizards do not have the power to keep up with the way that the sixers are playing right now now that, you know, Ben's all three of the big three have been rolling. They have no answer for them. Maybe if Scott Brooks goes bigger in his starting lineup, they have a chance to combat that. But if he continues to stay small and they continue to just attack the mismatch every time down the floor, I don't see how Washington is going to figure out how to win. Maybe they stumble early because they're on the road and still trying to get that footing. But if they can continue to control the play, the pace and not let Washington turn it into a track meet, and just to continue to attack those mismatches, I don't see anything Washington doing. Outside of Bradley Beal scoring 85 points in a game on Saturday, I don't think it's going to be competitive. 85 might not even win you the game. Yeah. I like, mean, what, what are the Sixers averaging this series? Like, the other night they scored 120. I think game one they had 125. Like, you're not – like, come on. You're not winning yeah. games. <laughs> like, not that many points like not that. Not the, not... the way they can, they can defend, like – the Sixers can still swallow them whole in the half court defensively. So when all three of the stars are rolling the way they are and they can just lock in defensively 
how where does Washington figure out how to win in that sense? I mean, I'm sorry, I've said it from the beginning. It, it's only going four games. This series is going to end on Monday. Well, I, I guess we'll see. Now I, it's interesting because, like we talked about in Game Two, they tried to smother and beat, and it didn't work. Everyone else around made them pay for it. So I don't know if they try to roll with that the, same exact strategy. What they do? But, sag off and bead? <laughs> like, <laughs> it's, it's just like, like it's weird. It's just like you can't stop them. Like there's Scott nothing. Brooks has to be fuming. Like everything he's doing is just continually to fail, to fail, to fail. I, he's got to be booking his vacation at this point. But like you said, he looked after game one. He looked yeah, defeated. defeated. Yeah. yeah, it's so they just know. Like they know they're not blind to this. You're playing the one seed. I mean, listen. Washington, I don't, I, I don't want to call it a successful season for them, but the way they started the yeah. year, mm-hmm. this is good. Like you made the eighth seed. Like this is great for them. But that's it. That's just, that's where it yeah. ends. It's and your reward is four games with the Sixers and then a vacation. Yeah. So you can you can kind of have that going into the offseason as a consolation. Like, listen, we're a playoff team. Let's just build on this. Let's get a little bit better. But Game three, I know I said before this series might go five games. I don't think game three is the game that the Sixers cough up. I think Joel Embiid, I don't know why I have a hunch, he's going to destroy them on Saturday. <laughs> I didn't think that for game two. He's going to destroy them. He said he's like, excited to go into that home arena. He said he exactly shut them why. up. So. That's exactly why. I don't know why. He just like it's, – it's giving me vibes of the last time he visited D.C. and just like was – chip on his shoulder i don't even know what that was but he was mad and um yeah i think i think joel is gonna gonna have a big game on saturday uh their double teams aren't gonna work i think i I don't even know if he's gonna try and pass out as much i think he's just gonna like bulldoze through i'm gonna either get fouled or i'm dunking on your head and that's another episode of believe in 76ers thanks for tuning in everybody kev drop your twitter handle it's Kevin MCC MBA. Mine is at Jay Grasso underscore. Again, put that underscore and uh, <laughs> follow us for the live updates. We uh, attend the Zoom meetings of both teams for the Wizards and the Sixers. Uh, get the scoop on everything at si.com slash NBA slash 76ers. And then also follow some of Kev's work at 973ESPN.com. Kev, you go on air sometimes too, right? Yeah, most pregames I'm on. There you go. Get your pregame so for uh, some South Jersey radio. And uh, we'll talk to you guys after game three. Thanks for tuning in. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.